Hello, 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 and welcome to More Than Money. I'm your host, Jacquette Timmons. Today, I've gathered together some friends for a special episode of the podcast, Do You See What I See? A Black Business Roundtable about tech, marketing, manufacturing, and social media. And this is going to be the first in a multi-part series, and I could not be more delighted than I am to have my special friends to join me in this journey and to kick us off. So joining us today is Sadiq Bello of Social MBE, Jeffrey Jacquet of Seabock, and Lauren Gall of Vava virtual assistants. And so I've said to them personally what I want to say to my listeners right now, Sadiq, Jeffrey, and Lauren, thank you so very much for saying yes, for, you know, agreeing to this crazy idea that I had when I'm like, I want to do a business roundtable and here's why. And you said yes. Uh, so thank you for all of that. And in the moment, I will turn the mic and the floor over to each of you uh, to introduce yourself to our listeners so that they can know a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and as important, why you do it. But before we get to any of that, I wanted to just kind of share a little bit around what inspired this idea for me. And <laughs> the short answer is COVID, <laughs> COVID-19. The longer, more nuanced answer to that though is the fact that it does not matter who you are or how you work, everybody's been impacted by it. It's just a matter of to what degree and in what way. And so, you know, clearly there are people and I hold space for their grief. There are people that have lost loved ones. There are people that have themselves passed away. There are people that have lost businesses and that have lost jobs. And, you know, I do feel it's important to hold space and, and respect the grief that they are going through and are in. That's one reality. Another reality, though, is that there are some people, some businesses that are actually thriving in the midst of COVID. And that's a reality, too. And I wanted to create a space where we can talk about all of those different dynamics. We can talk about the nuances and in some instances bump up and maybe even cross the line where it might even get uncomfortable. We'll see where the conversation goes. But I'm really excited to have this conversation and to have it be framed in the context of where we are right now in terms of this health pandemic the pandemic of racism and this really fragile economy that we are in and not that the stock market is in any way the economy right before we got on i checked to see where we closed and uh, everything was down and the dow jones was down over 800 points so it'll be interesting to see how all of this continues as we lead up to election day but before I kick us off with our very first question, I would love, again, for you all to share a little bit more about who you are and all that other good stuff with our listeners. And so, Sadiq, I'm going to pick on you to kick us off. Sure. And, and thank you, Shaquette. Just a, a quick intro, uh, long-time background in tech and tech strategy at corporate and um, independent environments. I worked at uh, different companies from Time Inc. to Coca-Cola to PNC Financial Services, so across a bunch of industries, mostly answering the question, you know, how do we leverage technology, what do we do with it, and how do we integrate it with business? Currently doing some research around um, 
Black-owned social commerce firms, which is essentially businesses that sell using social platforms, think Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and what are the financial services and financial products those businesses need. That's me in a nutshell. Thank you. Lauren, let's go next to you. Uh, my name's Lauren Gall, um, and I am co-founder of Vava Virtual Assistance. Um, I am based in Atlanta, Georgia, but I'm originally from Ohio, and I'm a diehard Buckeye fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we started the business uh, about nine years ago. We just celebrated nine years in September, and we work with a lot of businesses and organizations um, with our back office support. So, you know, um, digital marketing, um, social media, content creation um, on the digital front, and then on the administrative side, um, you know, everything on your to-do list, your, your data entry, your research, your calendar management, um, all the things that maybe either you don't have time to get to or you don't want to do. Um, that's where we come in and, um, and help you out. And we, we work with a lot of mission-driven organizations, um, which makes our work, you know, um, very rewarding and powerful. And um, we just love working with people that are, um, you know, growth oriented. They want to, they want to, they want to grow their business. They know they need um, help in order to do so. And it's kind of who we are in a nutshell, but love what I do. I've been, you know, I can't see myself doing anything else in entrepreneurship. Before entrepreneurship, I didn't think that, I didn't know that this was be the world that I would be in. And I feel like it's been made for me. Like this is, I don't see myself ever being able to do anything else. So I'm just so grateful to, to be in this, like I said, entrepreneurial world. <laughs> awesome. Thank you as well. Jeffrey. I'm the founder and creator of the CBAC. Uh, it's the CBAC company. Uh, what we make is a lifestyle accessory for the active uh, urban commuter, people who use micromobility, bicycles, scooters, skateboards. Um, so largely we manufacture. Um, my background is the apparel industry. I went to FIT. So I've always been a, a creative person. I've always worked with my hands. Um, a new term is a maker. I didn't know I was a maker until someone told me I was a maker. <laughs> so I've always kind of made things. Um, and the CBAC was kind of a, 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 an accident. Um, I made some odd prototypes, gave it to a friend. He said, you should sell this. Um, I've always been more comfortable in the entrepreneurial world. I think I've always been less comfortable in the corporate world. I never felt like I fit in there well. So as difficult as it is to do the things that I've done, um, it's easier for me to do what this type of entrepreneur uh, endeavor than it is to sit between a nine to five for people. And that just never worked out well for me. So that's what I do and who we are. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, again, I really appreciate all three of you being here to kick off, off this series. And given that, you know, I mentioned a part of the inspiration was just some reflections on COVID and having conversations with people, specifically those that were doing well, 
and feeling self-conscious about doing well, interestingly enough. I wanted to kick us off and whoever wants to answer first, I wanted to know how has COVID-19 impacted either your business specifically, your industry or your sector? And if there are any challenges that you've bumped up against and you're open to sharing that would have been those and as well would have been the opportunities. Um, so a lot of people actually thought, you know, in the beginning of COVID that, you know, oh, you're a virtual company already, like you're fine. I'm sure you're thriving when really we were doing okay, but a lot of our clients were affected by it. So it trickled down to us. And so we were in the same boat as everybody else. We didn't know what the next day was going to be like, um, unfortunately. Um, and I think, you know, people were just uncertain about, you know, where their business was going and, and what they were doing. And, and we were too. Um, and we were in that for about four months, I would say, where, you know, we were just like, what's going to happen tomorrow? Like, we just got to get by. Let's do what we can. And um, severely impacted, you know, just our, like our culture and, you know, because we had to cut hours and things like that um, to, to make things, you know, work during that time. But I think what it's really taught us um, is that we need to be prepared for, we always need to be prepared for things like this. And, um, you know, I've not lived, I haven't, we, I didn't, we didn't have the business during the last recession. So we, this is all new to us. This is, you know, this landscape is, is completely new. And so, um, yeah, it's just taught us that we really need to have, we need to be better prepared, um, on our end to be able to get through things like this. And then, um, yeah, I would say it also has allowed us to kind of educate um, now that we're past, like, so basically from March until the end of June, we were seeing like just slowly like a turn, tur like a downturn. And then I would say at the end of June is when we saw um, it just people started to have hope that, um, you know, they were going to be okay. They're, you know, they needed to start to make decisions again. And so that's when we started to see a difference in our business, but it has allowed us to educate people on working virtually and it is okay. And it, you can operate virtually. And um, for so many, there's, there were so many people that I talked to pre COVID that they were like, no, I can't do virtual. Like I'm not gonna be able to do it. I'm like, well, this is basically flip businesses upside down and they were forced to. And so right. now kind of in that space. So um, yeah, and just, it's been great for us because we can help them save on overhead costs and find where they can just save in, within their business. Yeah. Great. How about for you, Jeffrey? Have, have, has there been an impact on your business and some of the things that you're working on or the progress that you're making? Because, you know, you didn't mention in your intro, by the way, that you've got a patent. <laughs> That's not an insignificant detail. Yeah, I, I do have two patents. Um, I've been working on the CBAC for a while, and it takes a while to get the patent. But, you know, my attitude about the patent is it gives you the right to get in the ring with Mike Tyson. Doesn't mean you're going to win. But it is, like, it is something to say that you have, and it is an accomplishment. I, I will say that. Um, I think COVID's impact everybody's life one way or another. And since we're largely a fresh startup on the landscape of startups, and we're, because we're a manufacturer, one of the ways it, it impacted us was it, it kind of brought our market into focus because before COVID hit, I mean, people were riding bicycles and micromobility was kind of like a new thing for, for the urban landscape, but all of a sudden it exploded. 
you know, you, you couldn't buy a bicycle anymore. No one wanted to be on public transportation. Um, so it really kind of helped us focus on a, a larger market that was developing. Um, and because more people were buying bicycles or uh, various modes of transportation, they were also buying uh, more accessories. So that was helpful. Because we're in the prototyping stage as well, though, uh, a lot of the facilities that we were getting in our prototypes made shut down. So right. that kind of hurt us all of a sudden. Right. Uh, to your point about, you know, dealing with everything virtually, I'm really a hands-on person. Um, my technology is up to par, but it could be better. So all of a sudden now it was a, a change of mindsets. You know, I'm better at showing somebody what I need and now I have to express it in a different way. That was, that was difficult. Um, yeah, the prototyping, well, we got our prototypes made. Um, one of the other things though, is everybody started buying online, which was a good thing. E-commerce just exploded because there's no place to go in and buy anything. So that was a good thing. But again, because of that, we had to bump up a social media, the website, the LinkedIn site, you know, Instagram, just to get the buzz out there. I mean, it, that, that really was a big deal at the time. So yeah, COVID's hurt a, a lot of ways. Also, because we weren't sexy, you could get funding for a lot of things, but a bicycle mirror is like, not so much. <laughs> but now you're all the rave. <laughs> I would like to think so. I would like to think so. So yeah, it's affected us in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. It's so funny. I was listening. Um, Sadiq knows that I, I love this podcast. Uh, the one, How I Built This with Guy Raz. And I was okay. listening to one of his um, more recent episodes. And unfortunately, I cannot remember the guy's name or even his uh, company. But he... Um, manufactures bicycles and uh guy Roz was talking about how he bought one of those bicycles because i guess it has a little thing in the back for when you're you know transporting your kids yeah so he was talking about that and then i thought about you and i was like oh, i cannot wait for jeffrey to be on guy Roz. <laughs> yeah yeah those are called long tails and to your point uh transportation has changed those those bikes that you see parents now pulling two or three kids on are really replacing the family van for a multitude of reasons. Um, they're less expensive, they're expensive bikes, but they're less expensive than the cars. Uh, the people that ride those are, are more concerned about uh, health and exercise. They're more concerned about polluting the, the environment. There's a whole, you know, factor, fact, reasons that people are now going to those places, but that's, it's a cargo bike and it's a very popular bike there. And those people want to see their kids on the back of the bike. Right, exactly. That's why I thought of you. <laughs> so Sadiq, how about you? Because, you know, I, I get to see an insider's look on a lot of the things that you're working on. And I see, you know, a lot of the research and the, the results of that research. Um, but what impact, if any, has COVID had on what you're doing and what you're up to and what you're planning to launch? There are more people in the space. So as we look at and, and we, we've done, we're not doing continuous monitoring, we're doing snapshots. And so our viewpoints is of specific points in time and we extrapolate the difference between the two, but long story short, um, there are more people and it's a growing space. And I think some of that is driven by, potentially by the pandemic um, with increased unemployment, the increased impact of the pandemic on people of color, um, the push to, try to do something oneself is increasing. And when you try to do something yourself, the first place you're gonna go is a social platform. You're gonna start with Facebook, you're gonna to go to YouTube, you're gonna to go to Instagram to offer your product. 
um, the Etsy and Pinterest and some of the others as well. So there, there's an overall increase, um, but I can't say, I can't disaggregate what's driving that, if that's the pandemic necessarily or other factors. Mm -hmm. But we do know that there's an increase. And anecdotally, in looking at some of the businesses, particularly the soap businesses, which is a very easy business that people are getting into, uh, the cosmetics businesses, the candle businesses that are being driven, we're seeing a lot more stock out. And again, I, I can't say that's specific to the, um, to the pandemic, but you know, stock out is a very big problem. And the number of stock outs in some of these businesses seems to be increasing. Um, there's, there's one in particular that, that I know, and again, I hesitate to say that it's driven by it, but I, I think a lot of these businesses are experiencing um, things that Jeff mentioned, right? So I have an increased demand. I have an increased demand for my product. I sell out, but I also have a limited ability to restock my shelves or limited ability to engage with my suppliers because of the pandemic. So I have this kind of two-tier good thing, bad thing going on. And, and we seem to see a lot of that happening with particularly the smaller companies and even some of the mid-sized companies, you know, sort of issuing apologies saying, hey, sorry, we know we sold all of this product, but we can't deliver it. So we're going to do free delivery. Um, you know, the pandemic, because of the pan you know, a lot of that is driving the conversation. And I think, you know, one of the things that it's highlighted for me is that there are a number of businesses that are doing well, right, from a sales standpoint. And that could be a double-edged sword, right? You, certainly at the beginning, it was a very difficult thing to say, like, I'm sold out, woo right? I mean, that's, not, like, that's not the banner you put out there, right? It's right. a difficult thing to say. Right. Um, and so people have to be, and again, you, you, you do want to be sensitive mm -hmm. to the fact that this is a time of struggle for many. Mm -hmm. um, and so navigating that narrow path of acknowledging like I'm doing personally well, my business is doing in some respects really well. It's presenting a number of new challenges for me. How do I fulfill better? What are my processes? What are my supply chains? Ooh, my supply chain isn't what I thought it was. Um, stockouts are bad. Like it, it takes a little while for people to realize that stockouts are a bad thing, not a good thing. Right. Um, and, you know, we, I think all of that has been highlighted, you know, by the pandemic, including all of the other social ills and, and health disparities and income disparities that the, the pandemic has highlighted. It's highlighted these for small businesses as well. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for all of that. I know for me, um, you know, my business, as many know, it, it has three pillars, right? I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, mostly with entrepreneurs and small business owners. I'm a four-hire speaker, and then I host events. And in any given year, it's like a horse race between what's going to contribute the most to my bottom line. Is it going to be coaching or is it going to be speaking? And to put this in a little bit of context for reference, you know, in 2018, I was on the road every single week from September through December and only had like 10 days off in that time in that timeline where I wasn't traveling. And 2020 wasn't shaping up to be that intense, but it, you know, it was beginning of 2020. So there was still time for that to be a possibility. <laughs> and March 15th, I was scheduled to be heading somewhere for a speaking engagement. And all of that went away on March 12th. So I had a holy crap moment because I was like, oh my God, 
what just happened and what am I going to do? And I'm just so grateful for um, having a small business community that I'm a part of. I'm grateful for a, a small business bestie who said, hey, I know you, your business just took a hit. And, you know, I was supposed, she's a coach and she's like, I was supposed to be taking my mastermind people and we were going to another country for our retreat. We're not going to do that now. I know that pricing is one of the challenges that they have. So since we're going to do this virtual, why don't you come and do your pricing retreat? And she paid me my full rate, which was again, awesome. Well, that opened up the door for more and more opportunities such that I ended up as of two weeks ago, doing six, six, actually seven, I'm sorry, seven pricing workshops inside other people's masterminds. Prior to March 12th, that was never even a thought, a consideration <laughs> of mine. It wasn't a vertical I had, you know, thought about. And yet now I have a new vertical. And so I am so grateful for that because I had my, oh, holy crap moment <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, but Sadiq, one of the things that you said in terms of, you know, what, th what this moment in time, the pandemic of racism and, uh, our health pandemic and all of the disparities that go with that. And again, the fragile economy and just seeing who is really the most vulnerable is a really great segue into the next piece that I want to talk about, which is capital, like i.e. raising capital and, and racism. And so when you look at the financial landscape for Black businesses in particular, what both frustrates you and excites you? And I want to start with you, Sadiq. Well, uh, I've been around for a little bit. And so I'm frustrated by everything. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's one of the, one of the hallmarks of getting older is that, uh, you find many things frustrating. So I, I, from a capital standpoint, it's the, you know, the 30-year-old issue of capital access, right? This is not new. NAIC and a whole bunch of other capital access organizations have been out there fighting the good fight for a really, really long time as it relates to capital access at the most sophisticated levels and people of color, right? So whether that's funds of funds and arguing for more venture, arguing more for more private equity, arguing for more seats on boards, you know, sort of, they've been out there fighting this fight for, for a number of years. None of this is new. Um, I think the most important part, particularly around entrepreneurship and businesses, uh, particularly businesses of color, is what ha what's changed recently is the capital conversation has devolved into a venture conversation. And I think that's the most frustrating thing. Venture is such a small part of the financial picture, it's much a small part of the capital picture, but it dominates the conversation such that businesses are modifying what they do to adhere to venture models that they'll never ever participate in. Right. So venture is, again, if, uh, using survey data from, for employer firms, these are employer firms, businesses that actually hire people, a huge survey, 800,000 businesses surveyed over the last number of years coming out of the census, um, and, you know, of 125,000 employer businesses in 2016, Black-owned, a very small portion, but again, 125,000 employer businesses in the U.S. that are Black-owned, of those, 268-ish had received venture funding. 
Hmm. So it, it's insignificant and infinitesimal in terms of the long-term survival of employer businesses, right? If we go forward, that number, you know, if we use that number as a model for, you know, as a percentage, I think it's 0.4%, so not even a half a percentage. So the venture conversation is the most frustrating one because it's skewing how businesses think. Mm-hmm. Um, they're thinking about pitch and they're thinking about presentation rather than they're thinking about customers and capital. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, it's the only game in town too, right? So as frustrating as it is, what are the alternatives, right? Many businesses aren't really venture model businesses. They have the wrong, they're, you know, a manufacturing business or a tutoring business, things that will not give the kinds of scale that a venture model needs to survive. Um, again, venture models are based on super, you know, picking superstars. Um, it's, it's a very hit driven business. Having a home run, having a solid business is not something that a venture can fund, right. a venture capital can fund. So, but we need a bunch of black businesses that are solid businesses. We need that good $500,000 business. We need that business. And people are skewing their businesses to say that they're going to be superstars and thinking about their businesses as if it's a superstar business and rather than saying, this is a great lifestyle. And in fact, and I'm sorry, I'm being long-winded because I, this is a frustrating thing, but let's just, <laughs> all the good. short answer is, you know, in venture, they say that's a lifestyle business. Hmm. And they say it in a derogatory way, meaning that business will never be big. And big meaning like super, super big. Right. But guess what? You know, we need a bunch of folks who have lifestyle businesses. Right. Yeah. Like right. That, that's what we need. And that's what we should be funding. And we need to have funding models that consider lifestyle businesses as the goal, not as some failure that we're going to discard. And we have to shift the capital conversation back to having conversations about this. But it's a long and extended process. It includes things like, we don't have banks anymore. The banks that are out there don't lend to black businesses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a big problem. One of the things that I'm thinking about is how do we use financial models and financial institutions? How do we build financial models and financial institutions that lend themselves to funding small businesses and the funding needs of small businesses so that we can create a lot more lifestyle businesses, a lot more businesses that make 500, a million, 2 million a year those are great businesses and we, we shouldn't be treating them as if, you know, that there's something wrong with that. Right. Totally. Thank you. So Jeffrey, I know that you actually um, have sought financing because you got to get your, your product out there. So how, how has, what, what's been the experience for you in terms of going out and raising money? You know, what is, what's been the feedback that you've gotten and again, bringing it into this COVID landscape has the interest from outside funding, has it peaked or is it steady or is it declining? Let let me address it this way. I think funding is hard for startups in general because you're a startup, you don't have any really, any road, any experience, no no track record. So everybody's like, how do we put money into that? But I also think it's harder for uh, black businesses and then to use Sadiq's term of lifestyle businesses, I'm gonna call those small businesses. Um, and when I think of financing, when I think of money, I think of it as a resource. So, but, so let me say this, I think it's difficult to get resources in general. So one of the things is, um, you always hear people talk about friends and families. And many times people of color don't have friends and families that have the resources financially or otherwise to invest 
into a small business or they're willing to even do that because they don't come from a background or an experience that they understand how that is. Um, when Sadiq was talking, I was thinking about Killer Mike, who you may know that just opened up a financial institution uh, or a bank. But, you know, largely his business is a barbershop, one of those small businesses that will, you know, uh, feed someone's family. And many times when you have a small business, people don't understand you may only need a little bit of money. And to them, that's not worth giving it to them because it's not a million dollar return in the first year. Um, as well as finding people who can mentor you or help you find those, uh, those types of things. Because most people that I know, they have a job. They're not working, uh, they're not entrepreneurial. And if they are, they're not trying to take it to the step that many of us may be trying to go. So, so it's even hard to find those connections and resources. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I always, you know, I, I've been in a few incubators. And um, when I need to get something done, I'm always looking over my shoulders because other people seem to have an uncle or a brother that knows someone or that was already in a, a business, uh, had a manufacturing company. So they, they were able to kind of connect with them to get a, a, a lift up. Um, I think that's one of our hardest parts as well. Um, that's, that's what I've, I've experienced. I really appreciate expanding what we think of or describe as resources, right? In, in, in terms of it's not just the money, although that is absolutely critical, but it is also, as you said, the connections and the mentorship and, and you know, the collaboration, if you will. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think our community has money. We just spend it differently and we definitely invest it differently. That is very true. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so whether we're talking about starting a business or buying a home, do you know what I mean? We, 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 our community thinks of it differently. And I know there's going to be people out there like, there he goes again. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 it's, it's true. You know what I mean? And if, and if you work a job every day, and I have nothing against someone that works a job because it's a secure income and it's a lifestyle that I don't know a lot about, but you don't have the understanding of taking a chance struggling, putting this money over here to grow the business and possibly hire people, possibly have, have what we call real wealth. Um, yeah. Can that's, that's I insert something? Yeah, yeah, please. So just, I, I want us to avoid deficit modeling. So whenever we think about black people and people, black people, let's use black people specifically, specifically, we should never deficit model. So it should never start with a deficit in us. So if we look at the data for, again, let's just use employer firms, people that, firms that employ other people. Um, and we look at the, again, we're talking data from 2016, 2017, so it's a little bit dated. It's coming out of the Census Bureau. Um, we do fund our businesses from, per we have fewer personal savings. We spend more of our personal savings funding our own businesses than others. 68% versus 57%. 68% of black businesses that employ people were funded from the personal savings of the owners versus 57% of white businesses. So because even though we have fewer savings, we use more of our savings to fund our businesses. And the personal assets of, or, or per, personal and family assets, money coming from friends and family, 13% um, for black businesses, 9% for white businesses. So again, we are using more friends and family resources to fund our businesses than others, right? So, so let's take both of those off the table and say, yes, we are putting a lot of money into our own businesses. 
that we're asking our friends and families to put a lot of money into our own businesses, even though you're absolutely right, we have fewer resources. We don't have the connections, we don't have, but we're doing more. And the other part of this that I think is critically important is black businesses, uh, I, I should pull it up, but we also spend a lot more time on our businesses. Over 60 hours, we vastly outspend time on our businesses than our white counterparts or our Asian counterparts. And just from a data standpoint, like this is something that, which, which has a lot of implications. So we're losing a lot more resources, we're depending a lot more on our family, and we're spending a lot more time on these businesses and making less money. And so if we start from that perspective, we know that we'll burn out faster, we'll burn out our family faster, and we're not making the same resource. So we have to concentrate. I, I think when we think about the intervention, if we start from a database or grounding that doesn't put us at a deficit, or doesn't look for a deficit in us, then mm -hmm. we might think about different interventions. And so I think one of those interventions that Jeffrey mentioned was mentorship, right? Like how do we stop people from working so hard? How do we not tap into friends and family as much, right? Like those would be the kinds of questions that we have to start to ask ourselves to generate more successful businesses. Now, I really appreciate that. And I, and I have a, a comment that I want to share about the notion of wealth. But before I get to that, um, Lauren, I, I think you had a comment. I guess what frustrates me is history. It's history. Like we have to work so hard. We have to work so much harder to get to where we want to go. And it's in every aspect of our lives, every aspect of our lives. And that's what frustrates me. And so I try to remember that I have to create my future. I have to create it. In order for it to happen, I have to do it. I'm in charge of that. It can be tiring. Mm -hmm. It can be so tiring, but we can do it. Have, um, have you and your co-founder ever looked for outside resourcing to help take your business to the next level, whatever that may have been or is? We haven't, um, aside from like the loans for COVID that were um, given, but other than that, no, we have not looked at outside funding. Um, we've really built it from the ground up. Yeah. Last week I was just having, so two things. Last week I was having a conversation with a, a mentee and uh, I was sharing with them that for the most part, I feel like every business lesson I've learned, I needed to learn it. But if there's one thing I would do differently from the very beginning, <laughs> and that is I would not have used um, as much of my own personal savings in my business, or I would have been clearer about the floor. Like I would have been clearer about um, once my savings hits X, I'm not going beneath that. <laughs> yeah, I would have been much clearer about that um, than I, I was. And so that's my two cents there. The piece about wealth, you know, the thing that I find so fascinating is oftentimes when we, when we talk about wealth and, you know, especially, you know, a part of building your business, that's a pathway of creating wealth. I think we also often think about it in terms of large numbers and your comment about uh, Sadiq, about VCs, you know, really looking for what's that really huge number that that's going to be the exit strategy that's going to prove that it's worth me investing in XYZ company. It makes me think of my mother. And it makes me think of my mother in this way. My mother worked for Social Security for 38 years. 
So um, we are not from a private banking background. <laughs> and yet, um, I think of my mother as being wealthy or having been wealthy from the standpoint of when she died, she had no mortgage, she had no debt. We had an estate plan. You know, the, trans the transfer of wealth was, was a smooth transition. And I'm like, maybe other people wouldn't consider that as, a, a, as an example of wealth. But I feel like that is because of the fact that she didn't have a mortgage and she didn't have any debt. <laughs> and I she was able to transfer something <laughs> to another generation, me. <laughs> yeah, can, can I chime in? Yeah, please. Can, can I chime in? Because I think everybody says something out that, you know, to your point, you're right. Even for my business, most of the finances that's gone into my business have come out of my pockets. And if I go back and look at every one of those figures after a while, it becomes a lot of money. And I'm like, wow. And sometimes I don't have anything physically to show for that money because it costs money to keep a corporation going. It costs money to pay for patent fees and all that kind of stuff. It costs money to pay taxes when there's no revenue. I'm just saying it, it, it costs a lot of money. And to your point, Jacquet, there are times when, you know, I have written so many business plans for grants because I'm always looking for money I don't have to pay back. Because there's times like, you know, bills have to get paid to keep things going. And it's nice to have this dream, and we all have it, but the reality sets in if the light doesn't turn on, the car doesn't, there's no gas for the, those kind of things. And there's plenty of days I may sit there and say, it's nice to walk off scot-free with no debt. Because if I keep putting in, or if I borrow, then I got debt. And if it doesn't work, that possibility always exists. Because yeah, right. this won't be the first thing that didn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah, good point. You, you, you see what I'm saying? So, Sadiq, to your point, it's all my money. Maybe a, a quarter from over here and a nickel from a friend over there or something like that. And, but am I able to go to a bank and get a loan? I'm tentative about that because I'm kind of like, okay, it's nice to have this money, but it's not about money. It's about doing the right thing with the money because if there's no return on this money, I'm still liable for that. Right. And at a certain stage, because you talked about getting old, Sadiq, I'm not so sure you're there. <laughs> <laughs> you want to walk out the game debt-free. Yeah. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? Right. You want to walk out the game debt-free. It didn't work. At this stage, I'd rather be broke and not owe somebody because I've had businesses where you walk away and it's, it's kind of followed you for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. Good point. Really good point. Okay, so now that you've shared with me, and I really appreciate that, what's frustrates or what has frustrated you or is frustrating you, what excites you? Because Lauren, I know when we initially talked and you, and you shared with me how, you know, initially when COVID happened, there was a huge dip and now things are moving in a more positive and upward direction. Um, so what excites you and, and what are you seeing in terms of that movement? Like, are you seeing any trends that you can portend in terms of what that means for 2021? Ooh, I don't know. But, you know, I think COVID has changed businesses forever in a good way. The ones that have survived. I think it has really taught people to think differently. So often we find ourselves in just like a box and we, we don't really look outside the box. We're just like, okay, we show up. Here's what we do. This is what we do now. This is what we do next, you know, and like, I think the pandemic 
and everything that's happened has really, um, again, just shifted people's mindsets to be able to know and believe that they can pivot and it work. Even just small things like tweaks. I've seen businesses that I was like, they literally a business um, just down the street closed, completely closed. It was a restaurant. They just opened up like maybe about a month ago. And so I ordered from them and I'm like, you know, how's it going? What's, what's happening? And they're like, you know, we just didn't know how to go online. We didn't know how to set that up. We didn't know how to, we didn't know how to do, we didn't know how to push our business forward. And then somebody basically came in and helped them get online and get online orders and like all of these things. And I'm like, man, like, I'm, I'm so glad that they open back up and they're fine and they're going to be okay. But to not know those things and not and feel like you don't know how to move forward, that, um, that made me really sad, but also, you know, obviously really happy when I, right. when I saw them um, open back up. But I think the mindset shift and knowing that, you know, um, you know, they're going to be okay. And, and, and this is how they've shifted their business. And to be completely honest, I talked to a lot of people that they've shifted and they're not going back. Hmm. Like there's a lot of new things that they're implementing and like, it's working better than what they were doing before. So um, that's That's kind of, yeah. So when you say possibilities, Jeffrey, you want to give us an example? Well, because I'm a product person, I'm always excited to see when a product launches and how it it gets accepted. You know, as you take a a, a drink out your swell bottle there, um, (laughs) you know, I'm always excited, you know, about products and their backstories, because I think the possibilities exist. But Lauren said something I want to, I want to put back on the table, you know, at, at least for me, and I don't think I'm that unique in the sense that you realize it really takes a team to get these things done. You may be good at one thing or two things, but you need someone that's good at, you know, three and four, right. you know, and, th- and then maybe someone that's at five and six, and yep. they may not be always, always on your team. And then right. you're, to your point, Lauren, about the restaurant that all of a sudden had to beef up their technology. That's a reality for a lot of us. Right. You, yeah. you know I mean, I'm a, I'm a product guy. I can solve a problem you know, as, as one first, but you know, can I sell it? That's a whole nother thing. There's people out there that that's what they're good at. They need something right. to sell, yeah. you know, right. they're good at social media, but they need content. Right. Um, um, so I, I think we all have those struggles. I don't think they're unique to any of us, but you know, if you don't have that team, if you don't have those pieces in place, that's the struggle. And, and, it, and it really takes all of that to really get your business to scale to where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. No, but I appreciate to, that. But to your sure. point, I'm excited about product. When I see something new, I'm always like, how'd that, how'd that take off? How was that accepted? Yeah, and, that, and her story is amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> and and these, are, these are people who have no background in what they do. Not at all. You, you, Not at you all. You know what I mean? Yep. So I, I always find that amazing. You know, Sadiq, you talked about candles. I think a big trend now is, you know, uh, do-it-yourself type things. There are also mm-hmm. people at home doing things that they... tech. Technology has allowed you to do a lot of things, but Sadiq, you mentioned something that before supply chain. As easy as it for me to get prototypes made now 3D printed because of technology, what's tough for me is manufacturing or importing. Technology hasn't changed that much. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? So now you can make things at home, but can you really scale that? That right. becomes a big deal. Right. What about you, Sadiq? What are you excited about? I think all of this is exciting, right? So I, I think any time of change, 
you know, change, change. I used to have this thing where I say change is good. Just change is good. And now, you know, that, many people don't want change, but I think in this time of change, people are discovering, like we're, we're in this process of creative destruction, right? We're, we're finding that, you know, a bunch of the restaurants are gonna die. Like a lot of them will go out. I mean, we're involved in something in New York City where, you know, we've, you know there's been research that indicates like 40% of the businesses will not come back. Yeah. Um, you know, th these are tough times, but we're not looking at the flip side of it, which is those entrepreneurs and those, those entrepreneurial leanings haven't gone away. Right. As I discover, I mean, as Jeff just said, as I discover that I can print a shirt at home and it's a cool design and people like it, or I can make a candle at home and people like it, well, well you know, there's a fair number of people that are going to say, well, I'll offer it to people, right? I've got no other options. I can sell this t-shirt. I can sell these candles. I can sell whatever product of my creativity that gets created, you know, I can offer that to somebody. And there's a consumer out there that might be interested. Do I have it all figured out? No. Do I know all of it? No. Have I figured out manufacturing? No. Can I sell 10 and then realize, oh yeah, selling 10 is very different from selling 100? They're like, that, that's a big jump, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I got to figure out some stuff. Right, right. and selling right. 10,000 or a million is different than yeah. 100. Right. Yeah. And that's what we're all looking for. Right. right, right. But but the point, the point that I think also, I don't want to get lost here is it's great to have the vision or the goal of that larger number, but don't lose sight of the power that comes from just figuring out how the heck to get the 10 out. <laughs> right? How to get the 10 out the door, how to make them, how to get them in someone's hands. Because if you focus on the bigger number at the end, oftentimes that paralyzes you and you don't get the first 10 out, or there's something that you miss in the process that you really ought not to have missed <laughs> as you're working yeah. to get that first 10. I think it paralyzes you so much as, as an MBA, right? Who thinks about process and who thinks about strategy it delays the learnings that you need to get in the first 10, in the first 100, in the exactly. first 1,000, exactly. right? Because you, the, the seeking of that $10,000 sale is about the perfection, right? It's about having all of the systems in place rather than building those systems as I go along. And that's the real, that's the real flip that has happened, right? Sadiq no longer gets to tell that candle seller or that t-shirt maker the way to properly set up their supply chain because that t-shirt maker sold a hundred <laughs> and they had to figure out like oh selling 500 is very different supporting 500 people versus supporting 10 is extremely different right and i have to have completely different s systems in place and that whole learning curve is tough and a lot of businesses if you look right now um, again, look at the bag manufacturers online or look at Moonex Cosmetics, right? Supporting the customer base. Like I can do a, a million dollar sales drop on Instagram, right? I, could, I sold a million dollars of bags. Woohoo, yay for me. Awesome. All I got is cousin Vinny and Jane in the back working with me <laughs> to figure out how to get those million dollars in sales to customers, support those customers once they get there. Um, handle refunds and returns equitably, right? You know, publicly and equitably, right? Like all of that becomes part of the process. So um, I think it's both of those things. And I, and I, I mean, I, when I look at like Jeffrey, I'm like, 
it's a, it's horrible. It's a terrible thing to say, but it's like, yeah, I'd rather you sold a thousand and then figure out and then sell 10,000 and then finally get that government contract. Because when that government contract comes to the SBIR or something like that, and you jump immediately to selling to the Department of Ed or Department of Transportation at a million a clip, you, you, you missed a bunch of the lessons in between. So, so they, I'm that guy that probably sold 100 t-shirts. Probably 1,000, <laughs> probably 10,000 over time. Yeah, <laughs> I've had a few. Right, <laughs> there's an inside joke there, Sadiq. Um, but, but I think you're trying to say something. Let me see if I can express this a little differently. One of the lessons I learned when I had a t-shirt business is um, it, it becomes like your child. You've created this thing from the ground up and you're so emotionally into it, right? And, and you, want, you want everybody to, to enjoy it like your child, but it's like mm -hmm. someone coming to you saying, it's time to let your child grow and be a, a human out here. And you're like, I can't do that. <laughs> it's hard to do that. So I, I know there were times when people were trying to give me guidance with, with my, my business at the time. Um, let me sidestep here. Does, I'm sure you're all familiar with the show, The Prophet. Yes. I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. You know why I've never seen it. Okay, but, but Lauren, <laughs> do, do you know where I'm going with this? For everybody else that doesn't know, I, I don't have a guess. You know, someone comes in and says, okay, you got an idea, you got a product, but let me tell you, you need to take two steps right instead of two steps left. Yeah. I don't care how you feel about it. This is about making money, right? And, and I think that's what we're all in business to do is make money. Right. You know, we can, we, we can feel good with our friends. <laughs> but we're here to make money. And that's yeah. hard when someone tells you, you know, you need to cut your child off. You're like, but they're going to die. <laughs> no, they're going to figure it out is what they're going to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Good point. Really good point. Really, really, really good point. Okay. So maybe we've touched upon this already. Um, but if you have any additional thoughts, I'd love to know. So how do I want to phrase this question? I'm thinking about, this is not a direct question, but here's the, what it's on my mind. I'm thinking about the CEO of Wells Fargo recently talking about the fact that there's no black talent. <laughs> He's having a hard time finding black talent. And that statement just kind of pissed me off for a variety of different reasons. Um, and especially given the fact that I'm like, well, I'm sure his employees don't quite appreciate the fact that he's on TV talking about he's having a hard time finding black talent. So not to turn this into a, you know, womp womp portion of the conversation, but I'm just curious if you have any suggestions for people that might be listening that have an idea for a business or already have it already have a business and feel as though they're bumping up against racism whether it comes in the form of you know their banking relationships you think about all of the companies that we heard about who couldn't get access to ppp loans because they didn't have relationships with a bank um, or um, any other sort of, you know, getting a, a loan from SBA, like, I don't know, this is not a, as well of a thought out question as I would like it to be, but I would love to know if you have any thoughts around the intersection of systemic racism, banking, financing, entrepreneurship, any thoughts before we move on to the next 
portion of our conversation. Dan, you got a passion to get it out there. You should go for it. I think if you, you know, you got something to figure out, you'll figure it out. You'll, you'll solve that problem. You know, you'll, you'll encounter the difficulties, but you'll learn and you'll solve that problem. Um, I, I just think that we're all in the same place. We all have an idea. We all have a product. We're all trying to get it out there. We're all struggling with finances. We could all use more money. Um, I, I think being, I think being resourceful is probably one of the greatest skills that any entrepreneur can have. Trying to figure out, you know, how to skin the cat. If you don't have a knife, then you better figure it out with a toothpick. But we all got to eat. Well, I, you know, it's, I, I love the word resourceful because I feel like that's the answer to a lot of different things, right? So there's so, many, there's so much that you can't control. Like I can't control if someone is going to approach me or interact with me through a lens of racism. I have no control over that. But if I need something, I can figure out how to be resourceful of getting the answer or getting right. another or pursuing another pathway or another avenue for getting what it is that I need. Right. Right. And, and, I, and I think being resourceful is probably the greatest skill you can have, whether you're being an entrepreneur or just walking the path of life. <laughs> right. Oh, go ahead, Lauren. Uh, no, I was just going um, to say, to Jeffrey's point, like one thing that I see so common in entrepreneurs is just being solution focused and problem solvers. And right. we're used to being, this sounds kind of crazy, but like we're used to being told no and then we just right. go find that we, we, we work at it until we get our first yes or until we get the yes. And so, um, yeah, you just got to go out there and, and do it. You know, you, you learn to think out the box. You learn to expect yeah. people are going to look at you differently. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, so then based on your, based on your comments and, 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 and what I feel and, and if Sadiq has something to add, um, probably what he would say do you think then when we hear or see these articles that are talking about racism and, and, and the intersection of entrepreneurship in Black communities in particular, do you think that those articles, what do you think the purpose of those articles are? Because what I'm hearing from, from you and what I know my own experience is, is, again, I can't control how you're going to respond to me. And if you tell me, no, I'm going to go someplace else and figure it out. So do you think, yeah, what do you think there's the, the purpose of those, those articles? But let me ask you before, because I, I would take a different tact and okay. say, unquestionably what Lauren and Jeff has said is correct. What you have said is correct. We have to be solution oriented. Those, those are like baseline facts. However, I, I, I do think there is something fundamental and systemic that says, no matter what your baseline facts are, I'm glad Jeff and Lauren and Jaquette and Sadiq thinks, go and be resourceful. The fundamental fact is, if you are someone trying to excel at Wells Fargo and the vice president of Wells Fargo believes you do not exist, your resourcefulness does not matter. This is a systemic problem and not an individual problem. It will not be solved by individuals saying, I will be more resourceful. I will go get a job and work my way up right. from janitor to vice president. And of right. course, no one is suggesting that. I, clearly, Lauren wasn't suggesting that. Jeff isn't suggesting that. Right. You're not suggesting that. But we do have to agree that both Lauren and Jeff and you and me are correct, that we will be resourceful. We will find solutions, but we're up against something that is systemic and resistant to our resources. 
So it doesn't matter what your resources are. It doesn't matter what your thoughts are. It doesn't matter your gumption and your go-gettedness and all the rest of that. You will not get a loan from a person that does not believe you exist. Right. Okay. I, I, I and agree. so that disadvantages you from a fundamental perspective in terms of success. And that's why we see this huge disparity between the time work for black entrepreneurs and the sales of those businesses or the sales volume of those businesses. I those agree. are systemic problems. I agree with what you're saying, Sadiq, but I think in the world of entrepreneurship, I, I think I was talking about being resourceful, but let me, let me, let me just share this with you. In, in a, in a more corporate setting, one of the things I've come to recognize is, you know, most people, everybody has to have talent to do what they do to some degree um, or the ability. But one of the things I've come to realize is most people can teach you what they need you to know. They can show it to you. Do you fit in? Do you play poker on Friday nights? Because we're looking for someone to play poker on Friday nights who can also do what we need to do. And I find many times we don't fit in. It's not that we're not capable or to use the word talented. We don't fit in. Do you eat black eyed peas and greens on, on New Year's Eve? <laughs> we don't fit. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think, I think that's the case many times. Um, we're always looking for, um, we're always expected to be part of the tribe. And if we're not part of the tribe, we may not fit that category. It's not that we're not talented. It's not that we're not capable. We're just not part of the tribe. That's important to point out. I think Jeff's point's a great one. I think it's important to, because that shift that says our talents are all the same, but that fit, and that's something that venture folks used to say all the time and startups say it all the time, and it's extremely frustrating, right? Like, does this person fit our culture? Well, our culture is a frat boy, beer-swilling, poker-playing culture that doesn't, isn't conducive to women or isn't conducive to people that don't like beer, like myself. Right. <laughs> and, right. you know, uh, those are different questions, right? But we hide one in the other. Most people right. don't think to say, oh, this, is, this isn't about his talent, uh, you know, he doesn't fit. They, they'll usually conflate those two things. And I, and I think the, the part of the answer to your question, Jacquette, is to confront and disaggregate, right? Like we have to break down these things and say, this is a systemic issue. I can, you know, I'm not going to fight, like, I'm one to not fight any race battles. Like, I, you know, I, it's just too much work. I'm sorry. There are younger cats out there who are going to do that if you're 20 or you're 30. They're going to fight those battles. They got to do it. But I'm happy to call it out. Like, I'm happy to say, like, your, your, your bigoted process here, your fit thing, Mr. VC, is complete bullshit. And I don't really care. Like, I don't have to, I, I think that's easier for me to do at my point in life than it is to fight that battle, to call it out and say, let, let's, let's, be clear on what we're doing here and what it means for you as the senior vice president to say that these people don't exist, that this talent pool doesn't exist and what it implies for your company. Like I wouldn't sit silent in that room and I would be comfortable not sitting silent and the repercussions of not sitting silent versus you know, truly fighting that battle. And I think those are the kinds of things that entrepreneurs at our level who started businesses, who have a bit of security, who have a bit of success, those are the things that I think that we can contribute um, potentially more so than, you know, uh, the younger whippersnappers who are, you know, willing to, to fight the fight, <laughs> fight the good fight. <laughs> well, well that's free. Oh, go ahead, Jeffrey. Go ahead. And, and let me say this. I, when we say systemic racism, I know it exists. I think there are a lot of people who will fit in that category that don't think that they're racist. They just don't give us the advantage of the doubt, which is racist. 
Do, hmm. do you see what I'm saying? They hmm. wouldn't. They wouldn't label themselves. I'm. 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 I'm not. I'm. A, I'm not a racist. But you're not going to give me the advantage of the doubt, which is being. Racist. And remember, racist doesn't in in America. America's a wonderfully racist country without any racist, right? Racism <laughs> persists yeah. Yeah, with exactly. zero racist. Like there, there are no racist is is for white people, and and I think Americans in general, racist for us is a term of behavior. It's about how things operate and the impact right. of those things. For them, for most people, it is an ad hominem attack. It's, I'm a good person. I love my grandkids. I've never kicked puppies. I eat <laughs> vegan and therefore I am clearly not racist, right? Like, I just don't like black people. I just don't think they're a really qualified black I'm people here. Right? I'm not racist. <laughs> I'm just not comfortable, right? Like they don't fit my tribe. Like I wanna be with my tribe and I wanna be comfortable in my business so we can all work at maximum efficiency. I'm not racist at all. I just don't see people from like South Philly fitting that bill. Like they wouldn't really fit in here. That's not, you know, they they're not out. part of our image, our brand. That's right. <laughs> so that brings me to the, the other thing that I want to uh, kind of bring to the table. And that is the whole idea of community. So where do you all go um, to get sustenance from the standpoint of being around people that are like-minded, that might be able to, you know, help you through a challenging time or give you some feedback or um, be your, as one of my friends said, you're my pacing partner. <laughs> their pacing partner <laughs> when they're trying to figure something out. So do you have both formal and informal networks that you belong to you don't have to name them but do you do you have that community that helps you and and yeah that helps you when you need to lean into them and on them i do yeah i have informal and formal and it's helpful i call on them whenever i need anything which is nice because even though i have a co-founder and you know a, a business partner like it's nice to get that outside perspective it's just good to always just surround yourself, like you said, with like-minded like people. Because everybody has a different perspective and like you do things the same way and then you, sometimes you don't see how to do it differently, you know? Like, we, this, is just, this is just something really simple, but like year, a couple years ago, we were eating all the costs of um, onboarding for our clients. And it was like, it's like hours of our time. It's like maybe five or six hours of our time, sometimes more than that. And we were eating all of the costs. I mean, it was like tens of thousands of dollars. And somebody was like, why don't you just charge a one-time setup fee? And I was like, oh my gosh. And it has helped us. I mean, it like turned, changed our business. And I'm like, why didn't I think of that? Like we were literally eating all those costs every time we signed a client. And I'm like, this is crazy. And that was just from somebody in a mastermind that I was in and I'm like, this is, this is why I need out, an outside perspective. This is why I need people around me to lean on because little things like that completely right. change your business. Right. You that little thing is actually life. quite significant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh my gosh, why didn't I even think about that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I call that my informal board of advisors. Mm -hmm. you, you know, people that you can, people whose opinion you trust and, mm -hmm. and you know, 
because sometimes you need another set of eyes. You're so mm -hmm. caught, you're so caught up with your child. Someone's got to tell you, you know, your child is quite talented. You need to let them go out there and do something, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, I, I, I have several people that I, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, I didn't think about that. Well, why didn't you? It's right in front of your eyes. But I'm willing to take it from them when I may not be willing to take it from someone else. Right. I, I call that my informal board of advisors. Yeah. Because I think we all, I, at least I know I do, and I don't think I'm that unique, we all get caught up in our bubble. Well, yeah, because you're too close to your own stuff that you can't see what somebody else can see much more clearly. Yeah, right, totally. Right. And, and now I'm going to put someone on blast here, and a part of that is sometimes reaching out for help. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know where mm -hmm. we're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes we know we need help. We just don't know how to ask for it. <laughs> I, I know I do. I know I, I need help and I don't know how to ask for yep. it. And sometimes it's such a simple thing that someone is like, well, just do it that way. Right. And, but I didn't know to ask. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Totally, totally, totally. Or you didn't feel like, as in was my case, I didn't want to be in imposition. <laughs> <laughs> Right, because your board of advisors is not always getting paid. <laughs> oh yeah. my god! Yeah, totally, totally. What about know, I do think it's I, I, I do think it's those, both of those things are critical, right? Having informal and formal ways of getting feedback essentially is what that is. Mm -hmm. And you know, sort of personally for me, uh, uh, during the pandemic, I think I've done less, not more. Um, but I do know that it is one of the most powerful things that I saw entrepreneurs, particularly in the startup phase, in the very early, very lonely phase, um, is um, a guy named Joey Womack out of Atlanta is running something called Founders Therapy, where he just got a bunch of entrepreneurs together just to talk through some of these things, some of these issues of loneliness, of connection, and how do I connect? And, it, it's, it's a very lonely process, right? Very lonely. And, and the ability to talk some of that out right. is extremely helpful. Very lonely. And, you know, I, I think finding ways to, if you don't live in Atlanta, maybe you don't have access to something like that, or, but, you know, finding ways to connect to others, both formally and informally. Because again, I, I don't think Lauren, you know, you and Lauren might have had different situations where, you know, there's a lack of recognition. Like, I didn't know I needed help. I thought everything was going to, like, Lauren was killing it. Every new client, she was like, we're going to onboard this guy, and we're going to get the client. I just sold three new clients. Great, we got all of this onboarding. We'll do it, and then we, we'll, we'll work with the client, right? Like, there was no recognition of the problem to ask for help, but it took an outside perspective to say, oh, yeah, you, wait, you're, you're spending six hours per client, so it costs you that, so your actual, you know, Charge a setup fee. Everybody's doing like that's standard for the industry. I don't yeah. know if it's standard for, but you know, there, there was an obvious aha moment there that clicked with you, that clicked with your mentor, and it's having those conversations that will really help in that, even when you have a blind spot, which might have been what Lauren had in that moment. This just little blind spot of not recognizing that there was something, there was a different option. Like I didn't know the option was on the table, which is what comes from being isolated. Right. Like so, yeah. the wider your network is, the more of those conversations you're able to have, the fewer of those blinds. And sometimes you'll say like, maybe if they had said, you know, charge a setup fee of $20,000 per client, and that's, you know, de rigor for my, you would have been like, mm, they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you could have made it work. 
Right. I, I want to say, I want to bring something in. Uh, being an entrepreneur is extremely lonely. Being an inventor is even lonelier. But having someone that says, keep going, your idea is a great idea. Da, da, da. I want to put something else on the table. And boy, I know I'm going to get it for this. I think being a Black entrepreneur is a lot more challenging than being a Black female entrepreneur. Let me tell you why. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to sign up for MBW... Uh, a uh, woman's minority certification of some sort where uh, you would uh, business enterprise. So women in minority business enterprise. Correct. Right. Um, where if you selling to government uh, contracts, you get bumped up on the list. Right. And the first thing the woman said to me is most of these resources go to white women because being a woman is a minority. I was like, okay. All right. And we have a particularly hard time with black males because you have to prove that you are a minority. See, being a woman is a minority and your gender is on everything. Your ethnicity, your race is on nothing, right? So proving that you're a black male was a difficult thing. I also think women in general have more of a solidarity. They're willing to come together and help each other, talk to each other. I don't find that to be the case with men and particularly men of color. That's, mm. that's my experience. Um, I also think that resources, there are more resources out there. I see a lot of things for, particularly for black women. I'm not hating on you. I want you to get yours. I don't see that as much for black men. That's just my experience. Since I am not a black man, (laughs) I can't speak to that. Sadiq, do you have any uh, observations? Uh, And and, and let me say, hold on, I got one other thing. So because I'm selling the product, one of the hard things for me to do is cross over racially. It's easy for me to approach someone that looks like me, start their conversations. It's a lot more difficult trying to do that with someone that doesn't look like me. Well, I I, I could see because, so I'm envisioning you being at Prospect Park approaching someone and to say, hey, I've got this product. A white and woman with kids on the back of her bike. looking at you like, uh. <laughs> a white woman with her kids on her bicycle. Hey, my right. name is, let me show you something. Not so much. But, but I would say this. I, I think there's a bunch of stuff in what you said. Um, that last part is, is interesting because that's the part that I think is the weakest. I think that approaching that white woman with kids in Prospect Park is, is, is not as challenging as you would think. And it's a sales role, right? It's not an inventor's role. And your natural abhorrence to it might be more about you as inventor oh, and you as the person than it is as someone who is more attuned to selling. Um, because uh, I, I don't know that... I. I Particularly, you know, if I'm a smiling black man in a suit um, with a nice mirror and there's a woman on a bike and she doesn't have one, like, seems like a great sale to me, right? Like, approaching that wouldn't be difficult because I have a problem to solve. I have something to solve a problem that I know she has. And I think that that would be a sales approach. I would wager that that portion of it feels to me the weakest. I think the strongest portion or, or the thing that I think is an interesting idea. The facts are black women are the biggest, sorry, white women are the biggest beneficiaries of um, civil rights and and those things is a foregone conclusion. We know that blah, blah, blah. Do women in general do a better job 
of connecting and seeking resources because they're women is like, so there's something about the gender. I, I think it's probably right. And I don't think it's about women. I think it's about where we started, which is, are certain people trained or encouraged to seek help and support and others trained to do it on their own and seeking help and support are signs of weakness, signs of failure. If you didn't do it yourself, did you really do it? Did you have to ask 50 people like, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And I don't want to hear all the talk. I'm just going to do it and bull ahead and damn the torpedoes. Let's go versus someone else who might say, you know, it might be worth a conversation over coffee. Maybe I'll reach out to X. Maybe I'll reach out to Y. Maybe we can have a, I think that might play. I think that's a fair, there, there may be some fair estimations in that. I, 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 think, I think that's probably right. I think you're accurate on two counts. I think one maybe uh, to your point about how I approach people, like I say, I can solve the problem. I'm not sure I'm the one to sell the solution though. I will agree. I, I opened mm -hmm. up willing to say that. Um, mm -hmm. And whether women are trained better to connect or not um, may be the case but they do it better. Whatever it is, they do it better than I think men do, particularly men of color. I think there's an age portion there as well, because again, like I said, I know in Atlanta, at least, um, Joey Nation, uh, Goody Nation, Joey Womack, uh, there is a movement of younger folks talking about these issues, talking about loneliness and entrepreneurship, talking about connection, talking about mentorship. This is a part of the conversation, I, I think, might agree. in a much broader sense. It can be generational, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think don't, there are I don't younger people. Anthony, I don't know where Anthony Ware is based. I follow him on Twitter, but he talks a lot about that as well in terms of the mental health of um, mm. entrepreneurs in general, black, on, on, black entrepreneurs in general, and definitely men, for sure. Okay, so as we begin to wind down, and I really do appreciate all of the time that you all have given me today. And hopefully this will not be the last time that the four of us get together because I've really have had a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but parting words, what would be your uh, words of wisdom that you would like to pay forward to someone else? So here's a two part question. What's words of wisdom that you would like to pay forward and, and, you know, as the word says, pay for it, help it, have it serve someone else. And then what are you excited about for the rest of the year in 2021? Lauren, we'll start with you. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Words of wisdom. I would say, don't be afraid of failing. And when I say that, I mean, when I think of failures or mistakes that I've made ever in business, almost every single one of them has, oh, like, there's always a lesson to be learned. There's, you can always turn it around and think about, okay, well, what did that teach me? Or where did that lead me? Um, I think so often we, you know, society tells us like, we have to do it a certain way and we have to do this and we have to do that. It's okay to not get it right. It's really okay. And just remember that, yeah, there's always a lesson to be learned in every single mistake or failure that we have. And so just remembering that, um, and just, I mean, this is, sounds kind of cliche, but like, don't give up. 
Um, you know, we've, we've seen in our business um, when we've, you know, lessened our marketing or not, you know, um, not networked or, you know, not been um, mindful about building our community. We have seen a, we, we do see changes in our business and we do see, you know, less people coming through the door and less people wanting to connect. And so I just always say, you know, just never give up and just continue to push forward, even when you don't want to. Um, you're in this world for good and well, not for good, but hopefully for good <laughs> if you really love it. And so, um, you know, just continue, continue forward and it's okay to have bad days. I have bad days all the time, but like, I always, you know, I try to wake up the next day with a fresh mind and a fresh start and know that like, yeah, I mean, this, it's a hard job. Like entrepreneurship is hard. <laughs> And nobody's going to tell you that it's not hard because it's hard, but you know, <laughs> exactly. it's so, it's so rewarding. It's so rewarding. And yeah, that's what and, I was And saying. what are you looking forward to as we get closer to 2021? Oh my gosh. I don't even know. I'm looking forward to a new year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. A new year. Um, a fresh, yeah. Just like, I, this, it sounds so simple, but yeah, just like a new year, new goals, new, um, you know, we have a planning meeting coming up in two weeks and I am such a visionary. I love planning meetings. I love thinking about like the future and, um, and what we're going to do. So I'm just looking forward to kind of a, hopefully a restart. Um, and hopefully, you know, the beginning of an upward trend in the landscape of the world and, you know, the mindset of everybody. So yeah. awesome. Jeffrey, how about you? Um, so I'm going to offer you three takeaways. One is kind of piggybacking off of Lauren is um, don't let your fears hold you back. Because mm -hmm. that's, that's real easy for all of us. I know for me, sometimes you got to confront them and, and just keep it going. Yep. I think the second thing I'd like to say is belief. Just believe that the possibility exists. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't try it, you'll never know. And I think the third one that I have to take to heart is uh, something that one of my mentors always said, discipline is freedom. Um, being an entrepreneur is hard because you really have to create structure for yourself to work in. Mm -hmm. There's no one who's creating it for you. You know what I mean? Whether you're working at your home, whether you got to set your own schedules, it's really being disciplined to get the work done. Uh, that doesn't come easy for many of us. Uh, it's something that we all have to train ourselves to do. Um, but I, I think it's important. Discipline is freedom. If you're willing and able to discipline yourself, you can build that support system. And I think what I'm looking forward to in the new year is just more traction. Mm. You know, just if I can get more traction, I can get, get more distance. <laughs> <laughs> right, totally. Sadiq. I am absolutely not in the words of wisdom business. Um, the, <laughs> the best I can offer is, you know, sort of, I think it's to, you know, sort of mirror what both Lauren and Jeffrey said, which is essentially launch, right? So we spend a lot of time thinking, fearing, considering, planning. And the thing that I think entrepreneurs and, and we use that word loosely, like everybody's an entrepreneur. The thing that you're thinking about, the thing that you want to do, the thing that you've hidden inside, that t-shirt, that candle, that soap, that widget, that software, launch it, 
right? Get it out there, get it in front of people. The, the fear that comes from that, the thing that stops you from doing that is you don't want to hear your baby is ugly. Like no one wants to hear that. And the moment you offer it to somebody, the moment you take off that veil and show that baby, you've exposed yourself to hearing like, ooh, your baby, your baby's bald. Like that, that's not a cute one. <laughs> and no one wants that, right? So I think getting out there and hearing that feedback, putting it in front of people is what people got to do. And, and looking forward, I think 2021 will be an interesting year, right? 2021 is going to, it's the culmination of the hypocrisy that's been exposed, right? Like we, we, we've all seen like, oh, you know, things aren't great. Oh, look at this. This isn't the way we've said it was. And 2021 is the year we ought to say, yeah, we, we really didn't care that. Yeah, we know we said we cared social justice, blah, 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 racial justice, blah, blah, blah. But we really don't care that much, right? Like 2021 is a year of proving some of that out. And I think mm. that's exciting, right? Like it's, it's an opportunity to say like, do we shift one way or do we shift the other way um, on, on a whole bunch of different fronts? I'm not talking specifically politically or, you know, just on a whole bunch of different fronts. And, and, and that's exciting, right? Like either way, right? Because, you know, I have my ticket for Canada. Actually, I don't have a ticket for Canada. <laughs> <laughs> well, I already told you. I got my passport ready. I'm going with you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, uh, Sadiq Bello, Jeffrey Jacquet, and Lauren Gall, thank you so very, very much for joining me today. This has been a really awesome conversation. And we could go on and on and on and on. Cause of course, as you were even just wrapping up, I had more questions like for you, Lauren, I was like, Oh my God, I didn't even ask her like, how is she using social media to market Vava virtual assistants? <laughs> so that means we will absolutely have to convene again. And, um, that would be so awesome. So thank you once more. And I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you all have a wonderful night. Thank you, Jacquette. Yes, thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great speaking with you all. You as well. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care.